So I couldn't say that to the CEO. It's it's his company. It's his baby. He wasn't go- and and he wasn't going to hear me. So instead, I said it to him and 500 of his salespeople on stage. Um, and what I did was I I found I found a, a way to set it all up. And it, so it was a 25 minute attention grab. You're listening to Lead Through Values, where America's Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, helps you create a high-performance workplace by building strong leaders, enhancing communication, and accelerating productivity. And now, here's your host, James Mayhew. Be perfectly understood. Those are three amazing words when you put them together. Hey, welcome back to Lead Through Values. This is James, your host and America's Chief Culture Officer. Today, I'm joined by a really cool guy. His name is Zach Messler. I want to go ahead and introduce you to Zach through his bio, and then we'll jump right into that conversation. Some of the greatest things to ever happen won't. Zach Messler wants to change that. See, Zach had a 20-year career in technology product marketing, teaching non-technical sales pros to explain complex software to executive buyers. As attention spans and buying behaviors evolved before his eyes, Zach learned firsthand about the importance of being heard and how to achieve it. A messaging and positioning advisor with a knack for what to say and how to say it, Zach believes some of the greatest things to never happen should. And it's the power of messaging that makes all the difference. Here's our conversation. All right, Zach, it's so good to have you here. Man, I cannot wait for people to get a chance to get to know you a little bit. And I have had such a, it's just been a pleasure to get to know you over these past few years that we've connected through LinkedIn. And so uh, I'm just going to toss it over to you and, and let you tell our listeners, tell, tell the audience a little bit about who you are, what you do and what makes you awesome. Boom. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks coach. I appreciate it. Hey, it's been great getting to know you too. So hi everyone out there in listener land. My name is Zach Messler. I spent 20 years in product marketing for enterprise tech. And largely what that means is you're connecting the core value, the core, the essence of a product, a service and offering to the cares, the wants, the needs of an audience. And, and through all the different channels, sales, marketing, you name it. So I left the corporate world about five years ago after spending 20 years in product marketing. And today I have an advisory service and I help founders and their teams know what to say and how to say it. So they create relevance and revenue. That's it. One of my- well, I have to give you to, I don't know if you're using it right now or not, but when we first connected, you had a three line value proposition on your LinkedIn. It was, do you remember the one I'm talking oh, about? Oh yeah, it's it's still on my website. Be perfectly understood. Yes. And I thought that was brilliant. In three words, you just, you just captured every need that everybody like me or other business owners that are needing somebody like you is... I'm not, I know I'm not perfectly understood. I'm horrible at talking about myself or my services most of the time. And when I saw what you wrote, I was like, man, I want to figure that piece out. So I just, I wanted to throw that your way and you can talk about it a little bit here too. That's, that'd be great. Oh, sure. Well, this ties back. I mean, I believe some of the greatest things to ever happen won't, and they won't because of poor communications. People get too drowned in the detail. You get caught up in your own stuff and you don't know the right thing to say. 
And when you flip that message, when you look at the world from your audience's perspective, it just becomes so much clearer and so much easier. The tough part is being able to do that. So it's, you know, the, it's funny on my website still, it's the same subhead, which, which you might remember, which is what you sell is amazing. Help your audience see that too. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, and, and we're going to probably bake a lot of that into our conversation today, but this might be a little different conversation than what people are going to automatically assume. So I really am going to encourage you to stick around because uh, two months ago, you and I were were on the phone together once or twice, in fact. And, and I, I know we were talking about some um, coaching things and ways that you can help me. And I'm super pumped for those things. But we also began to speak about some of our past and how we got where we are today. And you said these four words to me, and I and and I don't I, I don't want to say anything more other than these four words, and let you just kind of run with it, and this will shape our conversation here. You, the four words you gave me were "stand in your power." And, stand in your power. Yep. And I would love for you to explain the the origin and and just kind of some thoughts around that. Oh, sure. So that that came directly from my business coach, and. Uh, she's amazing, but she constantly says that to me. She constantly reminds me to stand in my power, stand in your power. Standing in your power is about remarkable and relentless confidence. You know that what you have is good. You trust your skills. You, you know that you're great. You might not feel comfortable articulating that, but you know, you know in your heart, you know you're great at what you do. Stand in your power. You're, it's the idea that the people that you help, your potential clients, your potential market, they need you more than you need them. Stand in your power. And it's when you're on with a client, when you're helping a client, stand in your power. You know the right thing to do. Stand in your power. Just do it. Hmm. it it's a remarkably powerful for, for lack of a better word, simple statement. And I, I think that it could be, I love the way you explained it. First of all, I think it could be one of those things that could be misunderstood. If you just wrote it, like if that was your LinkedIn uh, line, that would be misleading to people. And I think some people might not really understand it, but it's one of the things that I wrote in my notes from our conversation on that day on the phone was, it's how we can see ourselves differently. And then, and then you talked about like having supreme confidence. And again, this, this kind of language really speaks to my heart. It speaks to my soul. Everything that I want to be about is, is knowing that I'm doing the best to my abilities, to the abilities that I've been given. And then yet knowing that I will never have an arrival on that. And, and to step into supreme confidence just really caters to me. Keep going with, with what, what that means and how has that actually uh, driven the work that you're doing? Well, supreme, the, I, I love the supreme conf, step into supreme confidence too. Uh, you know, I think that line makes me think about a particular scenario, a situation that I was in probably a couple years ago now. Uh, and this was before I started working with this business coach. But a couple years ago, 
I do and have done for a long time uh, something called a message clarity session. And what we do, this is this is the process that I used to use in product marketing for tech, right? I'm not technical at all, but I needed to understand technology, sometimes really complex technology, to the point where I could demo it, I could teach it, I could market it, I, I could write about it. I needed to understand it. And so I came up with these three questions. What is it? They're big rock questions. What is oh, it? These, these are super. This thing that we are selling or this thing that we're explaining, what is it? What does it do? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to our target audience? Now, of course, as you answer those questions, there are more questions that come up. But building that foundation, what is it? What does it do? Why does it matter? You get to the essence of that offer, the essence of that product. So I started a, a, a session, you know, a, it's a, it's really an on-ramp to working with me and truth be told, it's a part of my sales process. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, people pay money. It's a workshop and we answer these questions. And at the end they get a narrative, they get all of these clear messages of exactly what this thing is, what it does, why it matters to their target audience. I had this session a couple years ago, and I thought it was a debacle. Um, it was just, I wasn't feeling it on the other side. Uh, you know, sometimes you just get these signals from people, and I wasn't feeling anything good from that. Usually I'm on cloud nine. It's like, yes, this was so great. I thrive on positive feedback, and I was getting none of it. And I, I just was like, oh my gosh, that was a debacle. That, um, you know, that's that. And then they hired me again and we did a second round of it. And it was the same sort of thing, just a little combative. And, and then they wanted to know about my advisory service and that company's still a client with me today. And how this relates back to Supreme Confidence is that, that, actually helped me and helps me withstand in your power. It makes it real. And having that supreme confidence, because even when I thought that this was, I'll use the word again, an abject, a debacle, it wasn't. They got a lot of value from it so much so they wanted to continue working with me and have now for two plus years. So Recognize, when you when you yourself can recognize how good you are at something, and you don't have to shout that from the rooftops, but when you can recognize it and you you accept and believe that you you're the people you serve, the people you help truly need your help more than you need to help them. Mm. That's you, you have supreme confidence. I know that I can have when when I find that right client, I know that I can help them. I know I can. And then, you know, once you once you have that confidence, you get better. You get better in what you do, you get better in how you project and your work that you do and and what what um, how people react to you changes for the better too. Well, Zach, I'm so glad that you took a minute to explain that that concept, you know, what it means to be in your power and, and supreme confidence, because I believe that some people can interpret that, um, you know, mistakenly interpret or misinterpret it is the right way to say that, that it could become like that almost sounds arrogant to people. 
And when you pull it apart that way and you're looking at it from, no, this isn't about me. This is about helping my client get where they need to go. That's not arrogance. That's just confidence. And that's a big difference right there. Sure. It's confidence and it's service. And at the same time, when we're talking about supreme confidence, that's not about your audience. That's about confidence in you, in yourself, right. in your in your abilities. And so if you are if you are seen, oh man, this takes me down a totally other path. If you're seen by the outside world or even a subset of that of the outside world as an expert in something, then that means that you've shown up, you've you've become that expert. You know, I, I always say, like, you'll see on LinkedIn people uh, on their headline, they'll have something like expert in this or marketing expert or or culture expert. Mm -hmm. And that always, as a messaging guy, always makes me cringe because you can't call yourself an expert and be credible. It's it's other people can call me an expert. I will never call myself an expert, but I know how other people see me. And they see me for a reason, that way for a reason. And it's because of what I have done. And getting to a place where you can recognize, this isn't arrogance, you can recognize, hey, I did that. I'm really good at this. That doesn't mean you say that. Saying it would be, yeah, I'm, I'm being arrogant. You know, acting on it in that way to show that I'm good at this, that would be arrogant. But acting on that in a way that is truly just helping your clients or helping the people that you serve, that's not arrogance at all. That's helping. Mm -hmm. You you went on to say some, some additional notes from our, our conversation a couple of months ago was that the seeds were planted when you were in the corporate world. And I would love to have that conversation with you because what happened from that was we started to dive into some of uh, how did we get where we are today? What were some of those drivers? And we started to share some stories and, and I would love for you to kind of just lean into that and then I'll, I'll just follow up with you. Like I'll, we'll just have a conversation about our, uh, our journey. Sure. So, you know, I spent a long time in the corporate world and I always had WorkZack and, and HomeZack. Mm. And they were two similar people, but at not the same. Similar in certain ways, but not the same. I was way more reserved at work. Um, I did not take chances at work. I was very proper. And I worked with a guy for 10 years, and I was, I was fortunate to work with this guy for 10 years. But what I learned from him was part of that. That's, that was him. He was very much like that. One of the most amazing leaders I've ever worked with. I, I mean, it, not even one of the, the most amazing leader I've ever worked with. And I, you know, we went company to company. It was fun. But he, he, um, he left. He, he kind of hung it up at least temporarily. And okay, I want to find a new gig. So I found a new gig and the company seemed great. The guy who was running marketing was an old school marketer. I called him a GE marketer because he grew up in GE. And GE, manufacturing, lighting, it's the GE marketer is, this is a, it's a pejorative really. And it's, it's sad to say that. 
uh, GE was a, a maybe still is a, an awesome company. But a GE marketer to me is that feature from a messaging standpoint is feature benefit. It's our product is amazing. It's I mean I remember I worked at GE early in my career, and I remember being told when clients would come to or not clients when vendors would come to me and say, "Hey, we haven't received your payment for blah blah blah." I'd go to accounting and they'd say, yeah, just tell them we're GE, it'll get paid. So there was there was like an arrogance, there's just arrogance built in. So this guy, now you have the picture of this, this manager. So he was definitely a manager, um, although running all of marketing. And he was telling me what I needed to do all the time. You need to do this, you need to do this. To the point where in my house, if my wife said, you need to, tell, told my kids, you need to clean your room, I... I, it, it, oh yeah, it just, it would hit me. Um, and so I was ready to quit. I, at this point, you know, I, I, we were talking earlier, I told you this, we, um, I had started writing on LinkedIn, uh, as an outlet because I was being told to do things that I knew were wrong and I didn't want to be subordinate. So I was doing these things and it just didn't feel right. And when I say wrong, I mean wrong from a marketing standpoint, not from an ethical standpoint. But I started writing on LinkedIn a lot. This is like 2014, 2015. And uh, I remember I, I was also reading a lot then. Um, and I read this book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And The 4-Hour Workweek is about automating your life. It's about automating pieces of your life so you can live really automating your work. And he built this four-hour work week. And you know, the, there, there's really a blueprint in this book on how to do it. I didn't use it for that. I read the first section of this book, and I've read it probably about 10 times. In the first section of that book, he's laying out the, the reason why, my word's not his here, but some of the greatest things don't happen. And it's fear. Mm. Um, it's fear about what, what's going to happen. And we always trend negative. Oh my God, I'm worried about what if this happens? What if that happens? And Tim Ferriss, that book changed my life. Tim Ferriss said in this book, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then he said, the worst thing that could happen in any particular situation isn't that bad. And if that worst thing that could happen realistically comes to pass, what if you had a plan for it? And so he he maps out, so think about all the possibilities and what is legit, the worst thing that could happen, and then make a plan for what you're going to do in that worst case. Now, you have a safety net. You know exactly what you're going to do if the worst thing comes to pass. So I, um, I, I read that. I didn't do anything for a little while. It kind of seeped in. And... You know, at, at this company, I, I started um, I started getting yelled at for things, probably because my heart wasn't in it, right? Because I'm being told to do things that were were not they weren't right from a marketing standpoint. I knew they wouldn't work, and sometimes when things wouldn't work, I get yelled at. Um, that was just I mean, the company is a great company. This part of the company was not a great company. It's interesting. I know you're a culture guy. Um, culture is an interesting thing because there were pockets of culture in this company. It was really interesting. So, so that's a sidebar. But um, yeah, so, so I'm being yelled at 
And I, I woke up, I used to keep a pad by my nightstand um, in case, you know, I woke up, I'd write. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I remember the date. It was July 15th, 2015. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a bad dream and I'm sweating and I, I'm like freaking out about my job and work and everything. And I went downstairs, it's like two in the morning and I wrote and I figured out the key to the universe mm. and I wrote it down and I, I published it that night I, on LinkedIn. I published it cause I, I was like, oh, I'll publish it in the morning. no. If I, it's like a Jerry Maguire moment, right? If I, <laughs> if I don't publish this now, I'm not, I know I'm going to chicken out. So, so I published it. So the key to the universe is simple, super simple, but it's, it's not easy. And sometimes people aren't ready for it. And it's just two things. The first thing is do the right thing. And the idea behind that is if you have, if you're good at your job, if you have or what you do, and you have um, any modicum of experience and ethics, you know what the right thing to do is in any situation. So do it. And number two is don't be afraid of the repercussions of doing the right thing. The idea being, what's the worst thing that could happen? So I started living that way. And the, the best, and this is, this is where, this is that, the transformation, right? Work Zach and home Zach or work Zach and out of work Zach. Um, I stopped that. I just started being me everywhere. And so I started doing what I knew was right. Um, and it, you know, it was kind of crazy. Um, I remember I, I had wanted to do a, um, I wanted to do something called a sales pack, right? So a sales pack is a, a product marketing book, really. It's messaging and positioning. We talked earlier about what it is what, or what is it? What does it do? Why does it matter? I, I used to, for me, build out this thing, a messaging book for myself where I'd go into the product and I'd answer those three questions for everything. And I'd do a section on audience and deep dive and talk to people and deep dive on audience, deep dive on product. And I'd have this book for me. And it used to be about, you know, generally between 50 and 100 pages. And I'd update it anytime there was a new product release, I'd update it. Um, one day prior to all of this happening, this is a different company. One day, um, I left it on the printer. I forgot about it. I walked to the printer. There's a sales guy sitting there reading it. And he looks at me. He's like, is this yours? I said, yeah. He said, can I have it? And I said, yes. And so that's when I changed the name. I called it a sales pack. And I started building it out for a company when I went there. I built it out for me, but then I'd use it as, as sales enablement. And I had pitched it. And I was told by this manager guy, marketing uh, CMO type, uh, GE leader, um, I, I pitched him on it. He got the okay from corporate. So this guy's whole MO was, if it's your idea and it's a good idea, it's my idea. If mm. it's your idea and it's a bad idea, it's your idea. And he, he worked that way. And so he went and got the okay from the leadership team for me to do this. And I, I got the okay to present one slide at sales kickoff. And I said, okay, 
So it's, you know, sales kick off in a January beginning of the year. So I said, okay, um, how much time do I have? And he's like, I don't know, five minutes. Great. So instead of building one slide, I built an experience. The day of sales kickoff, it's marketing has a whole section. It's starting off with the guy who's leading marketing, doing an overview of everything. And then it goes to me. And so I commandeer the clicker. <laughs> and it was like right out of a movie, dude. It was right out of a movie. He's like, Zach, give me the clicker. I'm like, no. He's like, Zach, give me the clicker. No. And he's yelling. He's getting all frustrated. And then I'm like, no, I'm not giving it to you. I'll sit in the back. And then he's like, give me the, you know, the M or F or, yeah, he's give me the, he's yelling at me. And then he's being introduced and he has a choice. <laughs> And I'm just staying chill because, like, I, I know what's coming. So he goes up. He's like, fine. He goes up and he's presenting. It's death by PowerPoint, which just helped me considerably, actually. Lots and lots of words, right? But he's just, Zach, next slide, please. Zach. So I'm in the back. I'm clicking whatever. So then I get introduced and I click it. I have all of these slides that are the messages that I've been told over the past year or so that I have to use. So it's like, our product is the best. This industry analyst says we're number one. We are, are, you know, we have this, we're the best, we're the greatest, all these types of messages, the chest beady nonsense that does mm -hmm. not work anymore. And so, and, and as I'm, as the music's going, I'm walking to the front and clicking on like one, two, three, click, one, dancing and everything. And I get to the front and the, the screen goes black and it says, whoop, big whoop, none of it matters. Oh. <laughs> and, and then it says, <laughs> unless you have the right message. Okay. And then, yeah. and then it landed on the cover page, right? The right message, you know, tools and trip ticks tips and tools to find the right message for company, for this company. And I have every eye here. People, I get a standing ovation before I've even started to set a word. Um, they sit down. I do a little little talk about what's the right message. Well, it's, it depends. It depends on your audience. It depends on their perspective. It depends, right? And then I get to my quote unquote one slide. Well, you know, what can you do? Well, you have the sales pack. It's on the internet right now. You can go find it. If you have questions, hit me. And then I literally dropped the mic. I went, Whoa, you know, hold the mic up and dropped it. And again, standing ovation. I walked past the, the, it was the CEO of the company, the chief sales guy. Sales and marketing in this company were like oil and water, which was ridiculous. I, I fixed that a little bit myself later on. That's another story for another podcast. But, but so the CEO is like, that was excellent. The, the chief sales guy passed me on the back. He's like, good job. And then the marketing guy, what's he going to do? <laughs> so he's like, that was very good. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and that was it. And the reason why I decided to do that, I missed this part at the beginning. The reason I decided to, to do that, to take that chance was I knew the right thing to do. And what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is I'm going to be fired. Okay, I'm ready to quit. So why is that a bad thing? <laughs> right. And, and that changed everything for me. And so I stopped being safe. 
I stopped worrying about what people were going to say or what people thought or even being fired. And I just started doing the right thing. And I stayed at that company another like two and a half years. Um, and it was, it was awesome. It was, I could have used your keys to the universe at that time period. I needed them. I needed them. And, and here's, you know, what a great story because you really pulled me into that. And just, I I don't have a story that, that matches that. I don't have experiences that match your story. I had a different story. And I think that's kind of one of the keys that, that, that we all have our own stories. Right. And so I was telling you before we hit record about a time in 2015. So that parallels your time frame also, um, about my, my, realization, my awakening that my time at that company was needing to end and it wasn't going to make sense to anybody. And I, and I wrote some very personal things, uh, in a journal while I was at a a leadership conference, um, on my own money, on my own time. And later that day, this is the part that I, I told you I would share today, uh, because I've never read this to anybody ever before. Um, but, but here's a few things that I wrote with this because what I was struggling with and why I loved what your message was, I was still caught in the, the worst thing that could happen is, is the worst thing is, well, I'm going to get fired or, you know, whatever. And how am I going to tell my wife and how are like, cause I know she's going to have questions about she's, she, her, you know, she's all about security and that's great. I, I have a high risk tolerance. She has a low risk tolerance. And so when, when I was going through this, I just, I just wrote these words. I said, um, deciding to risk it all, that's faith. No one, not even myself, is going to put, them, put their limitations on me. There are no limits to what's possible. No career, no company, no boss, no work responsibilities will keep me from living my purpose. I refuse to make excuses, pander to what others think, give in to others' expectations. There is one life to live, and it should be lived, not simply walk through in some haze, fog, or sleep-like manner. And where I was at that moment, man, I'm telling you, uh, where I was at that moment, it was difficult to open the car door in the parking lot to walk into that building. And I have a high profile job. I have a, I have responsibility. I have people looking at me as the guy that's the glue to the culture there. Right. I, you know, we, that was, my job was to create it. And there was something that was churning in me where I knew that it was time to move, but it was scary. And so me being able to write those things and, and then begin to, you know, use a word that you've said, um, maybe not on this episode, but I have in my notes that you said was manifest, right? I began to manifest this idea and I started thinking about what are the worst things that could happen. So now a few months later, we go to September of that year. This was April when I wrote that September of that year, Beth and I are driving to another leadership conference on our own dime. Uh, it was over a long weekend and, uh, we had about seven hours of time in the, uh, in the car and we had the conversation and there were tears and there was emotion and there was positivity and there was despair all, all, all wrapped up in this. There was anger, there was excitement, there was joy. And we talked about the worst things. And, and for us, like the worst thing for, for both of us, we determined was, would we survive it as a couple? 
And when we put that on the table, that became very real at that at that point. Remember, my wife's about security, so she's worried about money. She's worried about insurance. She's worried about savings. She's worried about all of these things. Uh, I'm like, we're going to be okay, you know, on those things. But I needed to know that we, the two of us, would be okay. And once once we both agreed we would, that 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 was that was not going to be something that look, we would figure it out. We would make it through that. And I, and I truly believe that when she said that and she believed it when I said it, that's when things started to change for me. And you know, that's why when you said stand in your power, Oh my gosh, that was the start for me. And now I had some stuff to deal with, to work through. It took a little while, but here's the, here's the words that I want to come back to because I remember talking with you about this a couple of months ago, and you just mentioned it in your story, but it was about disruption and being defiant and rebellious and breaking rules. And every time that I get a chance to talk about those words with somebody, more than nine times out of 10, people see the negative side of those words. But you and I, when we were talking about this, um, we're our eyes. Like I'm looking into you right now and I can see that, that sparkle and that, and that energy, because there's something about upsetting status quo in a good way. It's not meaning to that you get a a free license to be a jerk, but it means what can we do better? There's something more here. And so what are your, when you hear people use those words like disruptive or defiant or rebellious, what goes through your head? I think most people, most, most people are too afraid to be truly defiant or truly disruptive. Mm. Um, dis, I mean, disruptive especially has become just, it's another word in the marketing it, it, world. At I least. agree. It's yeah. just disrupt. Eh. But defiant isn't, it's breaking the unwritten rules. We're not mm. breaking laws here. We're breaking unwritten rules. We're, we're doing things that other people find uncomfortable, right? That's, that's what we're doing. It reminds me, my, um, this is another story. My (laughs) daughter, my daughter's a volleyball player. Well, not anymore. She was, my daughter was a a superstar volleyball player. Uh, COVID kind of stopped her in her tracks. Um, and she never really went back after that, but (laughs) that's why, and the story before starting it, but my daughter, my daughter in, I want to say it was eighth grade. Um, she tried out for club volleyball. So she played volleyball, rec league. She tried out for club. Club is really just, it's intense volleyball prep really for next level. It's, it's high competition. You travel all over the place. You know, you have to try out to get on. You may not get on. There are different layer levels of club. So she wanted to do club. She tried out for club volleyball, eighth grade. She didn't make it. Um, and she was so upset. She worked so, she said she worked so hard, um, and she didn't make it. And so it was a point for her. And I remember being with her in a room while she was crying. It was a pivot point from her. And I thought she was going to quit, but she didn't quit. She, she dug in, she dug in harder and she set goals and she said, I'm, I'm going to make club next year. And she's like, I want to, I'm going to make the high school the high school team, I'm going to make club and I want to play volleyball at the university of Maryland. That was the first thing she said. She's like, I want to play dad. I want to play at the university of Maryland. Now, now we live in Maryland, university of Maryland. For those that don't know college volleyball is in the big 10, 
the Big Ten Conference in the NCAA is the conference for women's volleyball. You look back at the last however many national champions in in women's volleyball, odds are most of them have been from the Big Ten. The Big Ten always sends five, six teams to the the NCAA tournament. Like it's it's big time volleyball. Big time. I mean, it's it's akin to me saying I grew up outside Philly. It's like akin to me saying I wanted to play third base for the Philadelphia Phillies when I was in eighth grade, right? It's the same idea. So I said to her, look, you can you can do whatever you want, but to go from where you are now to there, you can't do that. It's it's we have to set these steps. So she did that. So she set these steps. She asked us to, to work with a coach and she set these steps. And then she started working and practicing every single day um, on different things. She's like, well, what do I need to learn to make the high school team? That was the first thing. I want to make the high school team because um, high school comes before the club season. And so she worked and worked and worked. And what she did, and this is what sparked this, I- this idea, this memory, is I think it's a Jerry Rice quote. But she wrote this quote on a chalkboard that she then hung on her wall with a little volleyball. And it said, do what others won't so one day you can do what they can't. Mm, man, I love and, and she, I mean, she wanted to be a setter. So the setter is the most important position in volleyball. You, it's basically the quarterback of the volleyball team. You always hit the second ball over the net. It's one Two is the setter, three is a hit, right? So you have to position yourself. You have to see where your players are. You have to hit it the right way to the right to the right hitter. You have to know your hitters so well because this one coming in on this angle, oh, that's better for her than for her. It's, it's an intense, intense role. So what she would – and you have to be the best ball handler on the team. And so what she would do, she'd walk around the house, my house, with a volleyball all the time. That's part of being disruptive is is doing what others won't so that one day you can do what they can't. That's part of being disruptive. Um, and I remember the last sales uh, kickoff presentation I did, I did two more after that one. The last one I did was the best presentation I've, I've ever done. And the CEO of that company, brilliant guy, really nice guy. I mean, the company is it's an amazing company from a business perspective. He got in his head somewhere, oh, we have to tell stories. So Sprint, Sprint uh, used our company, uh, used uh, you know this product. And because of this product, um, Sprint did this, this, and this. Isn't this product awesome? That would basically be his, his story. And so I decided... I'm going to toss that on its head because it's the wrong way to tell stories. And all of the salespeople, all like at that point, four or 500 of them are going to take what he says, and then they're going to start telling stories this way. And that's the wrong way to tell a story and we're not going to succeed. So I couldn't say that to the CEO. It's, it's his company. It's his baby. He wasn't go- and, and he wasn't going to hear me. So instead, I said it to him and 500 of his salespeople on stage. Um, and what I did was I, I found, I found a, a way to set it all up. And it, so it was a 25-minute attention grab 
followed by five minutes on here's how you tell a story. And I brought in the hero journey and talked all about that and everything. Um, this is this is actually this is actually a full like nine or ten months before Donald Miller came out with Story Brand, which okay. makes me which makes me go, man, I missed the boat because <laughs> I was talking about uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero journey and everything. But so what I did is I started out, I, I ran in late, so I'm being introduced, and they're like, where where are you? Where is he? And I, and I told one guy not to worry. So that if anybody made a big deal that it was, you know, but I waited five minutes and people like, it's like buzzing in there. Where is this guy? Oh my God. I, he's talking on this big stage. I can't believe he's not here. And I bust in from a side door and I have a rose. And I say to the guy who introduced me, man, you know how hard this is at like a giant hotel complex. I said, you know how hard it is to find roses in this place? He's like, I said, Oh, they smell great. But you already know that. And we're going to talk about that a bit. I found this study done at Northwestern University that it's about uh, olfactory perception. So it is, it is a concept that the combination of your senses, your sense of smell and your memory, you predict a smell before you smell it. Absolutely. And so I talked about certain things. I said, the roses, we already know they're either going to smell amazing or like total crap. There's no in between. And then, and then I put up a picture of a guy like smelling the milk with the, in the fridge with a face and people are laughing. Like you, you, put, you're, you make that face before you smell the milk because you think it's bad because you know you're already predicting what it's going to smell like. And then I put a picture of the, like a coffee urn like and oh, like when, when it's 6 a.m. and you got to get up after, you know, for, for 7 a.m. sales kickoff and, and you've been out partying all night, that coffee, oh, <laughs> And then I put a picture of a skunk up and said nothing, and everybody started laughing. So then I said, I said, okay. So I went through a couple different iterations of this, different senses. Said, so okay, if we know what uh, we know that smell in your memory, uh, we can predict a smell before we smell it. Well, what about sounds? So what makes a song a hit? And so I talked through. Well, it could be this, it could be that. But then I said, you know. The real reason is there are four chords that if you play these four chords that are thousands and thousands and thousands of hit songs that use the same four chord progression. Um, and, you know, instead of telling you this, I figured it'd be easier to show you. So forgive me, I'm not the greatest singer. And I found a song. It's um, Demons by Imagine Dragons. I know the song uh, very well. So, yeah. so that song from beginning to end, and if you can, if you can just localize, like get and just listen. Forget the drums, forget the the vocals. Just listen to the chord progression, the melody. That's the one song that I found from start to finish. There's no change. It's the same four chords all the way through, including the chorus, including the refrains, including everything. So I got a karaoke version of that. And then I sang parts of eight or nine different songs to that tune on stage. At this point, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, this is <laughs> like I have everybody like right in the palm of my hand, oh, yeah. all eyes. Like, it's awesome. And, and so at that point, then I said, well, what makes a story stick? If we already know we can 
predict a smell before we smell it. We know what makes a song a hit. So what makes a story stick? And then I said, well, you already know this because you've seen it again and again and again and again. And I showed I showed movies. Star Wars is a hero journey. The Matrix is a hero journey. Um Ferris Bueller's Day Off, if you think about it, is a hero journey. Yeah. Finding Nemo is a hero journey. Like it's they're everywhere. Spider-Man, like they're everywhere. They're all hero journey. And so I walked through the hero journey and then I said, well, think about the hero journey from inside the mind of the hero. And I showed that. And I said, look, this maps directly to the buyer journey, which we and that was my talk the year before was buyer journey. So it it maps perfectly. So here, quick five steps. Here's how you tell a story about car company to make it stick. And I had these five steps. And then I took that same sprint story that the CEO had told and told it my way. And, and then I, you know, then I, that was it. And then I had a Q and a for like 20 minutes and, and that was that, but I never, ever, 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 would have sung parts of eight songs on stage, I would have been too afraid to do it. I never, ever, ever would have contradicted what the CEO and founder of the company I was working at said. I never would have done that. I would have been too afraid to do it. But I didn't care what happened because I knew it was the right thing to do and I knew how to get the message across. And so I just did it. And, you know, it it does take, guts, but you build up those guts. I didn't think it took guts. You know, I, I didn't think it took guts for me that day. I still don't. I would, I would do that today. What's the worst thing that could happen? And so, you know, you talk about, about being defiant. That was kind of defiant, you know, that, that was definitely disruptive. For sure. Yeah. It was definitely defiant, but it wasn't negative at all. I didn't point out and say, oh, the CEO tells us to do it this way, but he is wrong. I didn't say that. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. But I did it in, in a, a way that was not disrespectful and not outwardly saying, hey, this guy, I didn't say this guy's an idiot. Don't listen to him. <laughs> right? Right? I, I, I did it in a different way. And I did what others wouldn't do. That's what being uh, really at the at the crux. That's what being def, uh, you know defiance and disruption is all about. It's doing what others are uncomfortable doing. See, and I love stories like this. I, I love I love the premise, the philosophy, everything that you're saying because so many times fear and doubts and these self imposed limits that's what holds us back. We're we're afraid of the repercussions. That's one of your keys to the universe, right? Don't be afraid of, of the reper repercussions of doing the right thing. You know, you weren't putting yourself on a pedestal or anything. You were doing it in a way because it was, it wasn't about you. You were making it about, this is the right thing. This is going to help us be better at what we do. This that's right. is going to help you close more sales. This is that's going to right. help all of us, you know, and that is, uh, uh, th that's about service and that's about serving others. And, uh, that to me is, is I think the outcome of the positive side of being defiant, defiant in the service of others. I love it. Ooh, I love it. Gonna tweet. You need to tweet that if you still tweet or it just needs to be put out on social media. I am almost not on social media other than LinkedIn anymore. So, but uh, no, that's, defiance, our, that's awesome. defiance in the service of others. Yep. 
Yep. Dang, that's good. Stand stuff. in your power. <laughs> I, well, and, and you know what? You lived that out. That's a that's an amazing thing because you did stand in your power prior to that coach telling you that. And, and I think what her job was was to remind you, right? Isn't that a cool thing? Yeah, well, it is a cool thing. And I I, I know, I was going to say I think, but I know that pretty much everybody needs that reminder time and again. Yeah. Oh, we can't, we can't see, we can't see ourselves how the world sees us at all. We can't see ourselves how everybody sees us. Well, again, and that, and that kind of almost brings us back full circle because the quote that I have written from our, our conversation was how do we see ourselves differently? You know, and that is that reminder to be able to stand in our power helps us see ourselves differently. And that reminder needs to come from people that care about us. And they're, they care about us enough to be honest with us, right? Some people care about us so much that they won't be honest with us or, you know, it, it it's fearful to them. So that's why I always like, and this could be a whole different podcast with you, but, but you know, that's why you gotta be really careful about when you ask and seek advice from people, be very mindful of who you're seeking advice from, because sometimes the people closest to you, their advice is meant to protect you. And you can't be defiant and rebellious when you're in a motive or a veil or a cloak of, of being protected. You, you can't. And, and so that's why you've got to seek out people that, that can, can see a bigger picture and that they love you and care about you and, and go, Zach, you got this stand in your power. That's some cool that's right. stuff right there. That's right. Well, man, as, as we kind of wind this, this episode down, tell us about who are the people that you work with. And then I'm going to have oh, one sure. final question where I'm going to put you on, on a hot seat. Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I, I work with founders and their marketers usually. Sometimes they're, they're sales teams, mostly tech companies, but only because I know it and I like it. Um, but I have worked with really a whole modicum of companies. It's mostly B2B. So B2B founders and their teams, founders and their marketers. So what I do is all product marketing stuff. And so it's it's teaching. It's a little do it for you and do it with you. Uh, but, you know. I, I think if there's anything stuff. that people are picking up about what you do is, yes, you do product marketing. I think the depth and the and the also the broad sweep of what you do you are, you pull things together. You synergize, synthesize things in such a way that it is, it is unfair in my opinion that you would brand yourself or, or that I would think of you as a product marketer, because I think of that as something small. And, and, and I don't mean that as any kind of insult or anything like that. I mean, this in the most possibly awesome way is that there is stuff that you have talked about today that, uh, I, I don't know how you qualify it, actually. It's just really, really good stuff. And it makes me want to refer people to you. It makes me want to work with you. And I hope that there's some people are listening that go, that's the kind of guy that I want in our corner, helping us be perfectly understood. See, that's that's such great feedback. I appreciate that because you know my love is messaging and positioning. It's what to say and how to say it, or you know, messaging and copy, positioning, messaging and copy, which is truly positioning is how you want to show up in the minds of your audience. Messaging is what you say. Copy is how you say it. That's my sweet spot. That stuff. There are so many people out there that do that are copywriters or positioning coaches or messaging people. And 
product marketing is bigger than that. And that's why I, that's why I call it product marketing. And it's so funny too, because it's great to get that feedback. Again, you can't see yourself as others see you. Product marketing to me is the center of the universe, mm-hmm. but to you, it's you're marketing a product. So yeah, I think about it as this as this notebook that I'm holding. There's a product, or I think about it as yeah. as one of my my training programs or one of my my services that I provide with my clients. And and it and that's also true. That's what you're doing, but but I see it as as so much deeper and so much grander. And I just think that you you could be such a a benefit. So if you're listening to this. And you are either in business for yourself, or you are in a position to 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 um, influence somebody to to maybe want to work with Zach. And you realize that when you when you're listening to how Zach is describing uh, the scenario where a, a certain style just doesn't work anymore, and you're like, man, this guy is the guy that can help us. I would highly encourage you to reach out to Zach, and and we'll have some of those uh, those methods on how to do that you know, in the show notes here, but Zach, what, what, what is your preferred way that people do contact you? And then we'll get to that hot seat question, right? Right after that. Sure. So you can contact me on LinkedIn, uh, Zach, Z-A-C-H, Zach Messler, M-E-S-S-L-E-R or Zach at ZachMessler.com. Perfect. But the hot seat question I want to ask you is what is one or two takeaways for somebody who is listening here that they could put into play to help them be more perfectly understood. Oh, sure. Oh, cool. This is fun. All right. So, so when it comes to being perfectly understood, the most important thing, period, bar none, is knowing your audience, right? It's taking on the perspective of your audience. You, as a founder, as a marketer, as somebody at a company that you believe in, you have a product. You think it's awesome. It could be a product, a service, an idea even. You think it's awesome, of course, but you can't see yourself like your audience sees you. This is what we've been talking about this entire podcast. And so it's so important. First, take on the perspective of your audience. What that means is your product, well, your product, that offering uh, is it addresses a problem. Every product addresses a problem, anything that we sell. And I've had people push back on me before and say, oh, well, what about a pack of gum, Zach? That doesn't solve a problem. I just want a pack of gum. Like, well, it does solve a problem. The problem is I want a pack of gum and I don't have a pack of gum. And so <laughs> right. I'm going to go buy a pack of gum. And it's, yeah. it's looted, but it's, that's a problem. So your audience has a problem that you're offering your product addresses. So ask the big questions. What is the problem? What is it? What's the impact of that problem? How does that impact make my audience feel? What are the feelings? What are the things that my audience says when they feel that way? If we identify these things, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, you can, but it won't work. It's doing the research. It's engaging. It's, it's interacting with your audience. Not only clients either. Sometimes, sometimes people make the mistake of just interviewing clients. I had a, actually a, one of those message clarity sessions this week, and they had all of this data where they asked clients questions. And it was all clients 
They were all ha mostly happy clients. Those clients already have bias. They've used the product. They're not at the point where they're feeling that pain anymore. It's important to speak with the people that are feeling that pain, interact with the people that are feeling that pain. That's how you start to understand that perspective. Because you have this offering, this product that addresses this pain, you, you have a bias towards the product. It's so important to remove that and really look at the world from the perspective of your audience first. That's the first step to being perfectly understood. Everything starts with audience. Product marketing is almost a misnomer. It could be called audience marketing. Sure. No, that's great wisdom. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that you were able to share that piece today and kind of bring this all back together. Because again, we started out by just introducing you around the three words be perfectly understood and, and knowing now how people could apply that by starting to understand what their audience is. And that's exactly what you help them do. You take them through your process. And uh, I just would highly encourage you if you're in that space and you find that need, reach out to Zach. So my friend, man, we could go all afternoon. I say that often because I love these conversations and, and all of this was just a free for all today. We, we just said, Hey, let's dive in and let it happen. And uh, man, super it was fun. so good to have you. Yeah. It's super fun. Thanks for having me on anytime. I'll cut. You want me back? I'm back. You just, you just tell me the time <laughs> I'm there. This is super that, fun. That's a deal. We will definitely do that. So Zach, have a great rest of the day. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to lead through values. We'll catch you next time.